again, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the show. My name is Jeff Kwame. I'm your host and executive director of the Connecticut Certification Board. And this podcast comes to you thanks to the generosity of our friends at Mountainside Treatment Center in Canaan, Connecticut. Mountainside provides individualized clinical, medical, and wellness services to those struggling with substance use and mental health disorders. Each treatment plan is structured through collaboration with the client, their family, and healthcare professionals to offer every client their best chance at long-term recovery. Mountainside is proud to be the only rehabilitation center in the state of Connecticut to be accredited by both CARF International and the Joint Commission. Its residential program is one of three in the country to have earned dual accreditation, as well as a 3.7 level of care certification from the American Society of Addiction Medicine. The distinction recognizes its outcomes-driven treatment programming, 24-7 nursing care, and comprehensive psychiatric services. You can learn more about Mountainside at mountainside.com. And on behalf of the board of directors and the staff of the CCB, I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Scope of Practice. Uh, Not too long ago, in 2017, Australian psychiatrist and entrepreneur, Dr. Sanil Rege, who was also an accomplished mountain climber, wrote about his seven commandments of recovery based upon his experiences with mountaineering. The first is to focus on the process and not the outcome. Number two, your outcome will be shaped by your process. Number three, take the process one step at a time. Number four, very importantly, enjoy the process. Number five, it may take more than one attempt to reach the summit. Number six, not everybody's gonna climb Mount Everest. Choose your mountain to climb and be realistic. And number seven, something I find very important, know your strengths and limitations before you do the climb. This parallel process between mountaineering and recovery is striking, but not unusual in nature. We recently spoke to Kathy Moser, who talked about the parallel process of songwriting and recovery, and also with 1993 French Open doubles champion Murphy Jensen about how building confidence confidence in your athletic skill was very similar to the recovery process for him. Experiential education of many different types certainly can be effective to help learn recovery skills and build confidence. Our guest today is Tim Walsh. Tim is an outdoor educator, expert recovery coach, and outdoor guide trainer with more than 20 years of experience leading programs for young adults, adolescents, and families. He has spent decades cultivating his expertise in program development. He is a thought leader in adventure-based counseling and recovery, and his areas of expertise include youth mentoring, outdoor leadership, prevention, and outdoor guide training. Tim is the founder of Adventure Recovery, an outdoor education and mentoring group, He has served as executive director of Newport Academy in Bethlehem, Connecticut, and quite serendipitously, was one of the founding team members of Mountainside Treatment Center in Canaan, where he developed the center's adventure-based counseling program and ultimately became the executive director. He currently is the founder of Adventure Recovery, a uh, recovery-focused adventure guide service that leads clients through the external and internal wilderness, as well as consultant on adventure-based programming. Welcome to the show, Tim. We're really glad to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's a real honor. Um, to begin, for our listeners, I'd like to talk about, uh, get us a working description of what adventure-based recovery would be. So we're kind of all coming from the same place. Can you help us with that? Uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, so my experience uh, is pretty um, It's pretty cool. I've, I've had this really um, excellent opportunity throughout my entire career to 
implement, to participate in and implement adventure-based experiences in lots of different environments, from educational to, um, to treatment-based to recovery. And ultimately, uh, what the, the way we define it, if you will, at Adventure Recovery is uh, adventure is just the setting out, right? Adventure in and of itself is the the action of setting out into a new experience. And that is very broad. <laughs> it does not have to include the woods. Um, we certainly prefer it that way, but uh, any, any attempt to move outside of one's comfort zone, I think is probably most familiar language for everybody is an adventure in and of itself. That and, just sounds a lot like the recovery process itself. So the parallel exactly. process exists. Exactly. And then uh, recovery, in our definition, is the act of having walked through fire and then coming out the other side and realizing it's now your greatest gift. And that may be a little bit more metaphorical than the first. Um, but for us, it really fits well for what we're trying to accomplish, which is uh, we believe that in order for any individual and certainly any group to accomplish, I really like the, the um, reference you made, by the way, the mountaineering um, piece, which, I, by the way, I've never heard of this guy, so I'm going to have to look him up. <laughs> so thank you for that. I hope um, I didn't mispronounce his name, but I probably did. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate it. It, if we're going to go out there, we, we've got a certain, you know, set of uh, not so much expectations, but just standards, right? Standards of practice. Uh, uh, and when you set out, you want to set out with an attainable goal. But with adventure, for the most part, you typically are setting that goal a little above uh, your expectation. That's, that's part of the adventure, right? I think we can make it. I feel prepared that we can make it. But then there's this, you know, big factor, uh, whatever nature is going to throw at us, we're going to have to adapt to that environment. Again, very similar to the recovery process, right? Um, and who we're going with is also really important too, right? What, what are the skill sets? What are the experiences? What are the, um, you know, physical, mental, emotional conditions of each individual to be considered as we go? And I believe all of that is very parallel to the recovery process, right? We, uh, we want to know ideally a direction that we want to start. We want to know that we have options along the way in case we run into trouble and, or, Oh, wow, look over there. That looks pretty. Let's go check that out. Right. Um, we want to know that we have the equipment and the skills necessary to accomplish the aspects of the challenge uh, safely uh, and then we want to know that our team fundamentally is willing to go through the process completely. Um, and along the way, all of those factors are going to change. It's not that they might. <laughs> we expect them to change. Um, and then that's, that's where the real magic comes in of how we process those moments and how we continue. Or, in many cases, how we decide to turn around um, and backtrack a little bit and maybe, you know, li live to uh, fight another day, so to speak. As I listen, I can't help but think of the, the uh, you know, picture of an iceberg with the small part above the water and the large part under. And I think that's what you just described, because 
to take a calculated risk, you've got to do all those calculations that no one sees. The preparation, the planning, the option A, B, and C, the what happens here. And that's a perfect picture of, of the real life of somebody who's in recovery. It's important to try new things, to step outside your comfort zone, but there's got to be a plan um, in case things don't go the way that you expect them to. And, and let's face it, uh, we've learned at least over the last year or so that nothing goes the way that we've planned. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one one of the key critical components of um, guide development in my in my experience and in, in, in the way we practice is uh, risk management 101. When in doubt, chicken out. <laughs> That's literally our, our number one standard. Um, and, and follow up with check it out, right? So in other words, you get to that choice point where you have a plan and the plan says we're supposed to go this way. And, and without being too, uh, I'll, I'll be very specific using, you know, the, the, the expeditionary model, our trail, our destination, our path, our choice, our plan, we're supposed to cross this river. Now this river is flooded <laughs> and it was normal. It's normally a trickle. And now it's actually a class four rapid, which means uh, if you go in it, you're, you can easily perish. We need to, we need to adjust our plan, right? So when in doubt, chicken out, we're not going this way anymore. Does it mean we back out of the challenge altogether? Not necessarily. We at least try to find another way, try to find a new way. Um, so check it out, right? Let's check it out. Let's see if there is an option. And ultimately, when you make the final decision to go or return, you're making the decision based on all of those initial factors that we discussed. Uh, I, I tell people I've got a perfect track record of almost 30 years of guiding experience. I've gone into the woods with the exact same number I've come back with. That's a pretty good record. Yeah. I, Quality and condition of those numbers, I can't really speak to. <laughs> and whether or not they're the same people, I can't tell you either. But the facts are my numbers match. And I, I say that to be somewhat facetious, but the, the reality is I believe it's my own recovery journey that helps me be a really good risk assessor when I'm out there in the woods. Other aspects of my life, I could still do a really horrible job assessing risk. <laughs> but when I'm out there in the woods, I, I do a pretty good job because ultimately I've been, that's that fire piece. I've walked through fire. I've been burned pretty bad. I chose to stay in the fire longer than I probably should have many times. I've chose to return to the fire many times because it was felt more comfortable being warm and toasty than being cold and alone. Um, but ultimately, my own personal recovery experience helps me to get to that point of, I know this is uncomfortable now, but it's worth either turning around to try again, or it's worth pushing forward, because I really believe we have all the skills, all the tools to get there. You, all the you bring up an interesting point when you talk about how your, um, uh, your own recovery process kind of is very effective in, in helping you maneuver and plan and, and take care of all the things you need to do uh, with the groups that you lead. Can you go back probably quite a ways and tell us a little bit about the genesis of your interest 
in adventure-based skills? Sure. Uh, it's funny. I was, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, so I now live up in the northwest corner of Connecticut. And I know you have an inter- or a national, maybe even international audience on this podcast. Uh, people who hear outdoor education um, or you know outdoor educator or outdoor guide instantly go to Colorado, Montana, you know, Idaho, they don't go to Connecticut. <laughs> the, the mind does not take you to Connecticut. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm originally born and raised in Norwalk, well, raised in Norwalk, Connecticut, uh, down on the coast. I uh, lived in a suburban town and, and uh, you know, right on the, on the kind of edge of, um, of the quote unquote city of Norwalk. And there was a couple of maybe quarter acre patches of woods in our neighborhood as you know, one of those typical suburban Connecticut neighborhoods where all the houses are right next to each other, and, but a couple of undeveloped lots. And that's where I would escape to as a kid. I, I loved, I just, I needed to be out there. And, um, for me, I lot, and I, and of course I try to maintain as much of that as I got deeper and deeper, deeper into my own substance use experience and my own addiction and, mental health challenges. Um, but I try to keep that piece alive through, uh, doing treks up in the white mountains and, uh, crazy camp outs under, you know, massive amounts of hallucinogens in the woods. Um, so lots of different ways I try to maintain that connection, but got harder and harder and harder to do so. And for me, what was truly, uh, just a, a blessing beyond blessings is when my family finally uh, found it, found, found the opportunity to say, you know, we can't support you anymore in any way, shape or form. Um, we, we can't, you know, truly care for ourselves any longer with, by trying to even care for you. And I'd already been away from home and that sort of thing for a while, but um, it just got very real very quickly for, them and that helped me to take the take the leap into okay I need help um and it wasn't I wasn't I don't ever consider my family enablers I hate the term by the way mm-hmm. uh, my family loved me very much and they tried their best to, to help me in many ways with the skills and the and the tech you know and what they had the resources um they had no idea right so for me it was I had no idea how to manage everything going on in my own head and my own heart um, so I, it was the perfect moment of we're done <laughs> and I'm done and we have a place for you to go. And that place was actually high watch farm in Kent, Connecticut. And at the time, this is now 29 years ago it was March 24th, 1992. So I just celebrated my 29th anniversary mm-hmm. recovery. and, um, I, uh, I couldn't believe I walked into a very, very loving and very simple environment, which was make your bed, do your chore, go to these three uh, AA meetings a day. And, uh, oh, by the way, don't get, you know, don't get drunk. Um, Don't use drugs and stay as long as you can was kind of the, the motto. So I got to spend every day at high watch farm running up and down Kent falls. That was, that was part of my routine by myself. And again, this is the kind of stuff, you know, having been an executive director of multiple treatment centers, you can't do that anymore. You can't just right. let a client run up and down Kent Falls, let alone go to Kent Falls. Um, 
but I had this great opportunity to just uh, be back in the woods and it's where I felt the safest. It's where I felt the most connected. It's where I felt the, um, the most uh, like everything's going to be okay. Cause I could, I could do this part, all this other stuff I'm learning about emotional maturity and um, how to, you know, embrace these concepts of the 12 steps and, and how to trust and um, all like some real fundamental stuff that I just didn't have. I had it, it easily came to me out there in the woods. So that's the real kind of spark of my uh, adventure recovery story. And lucky for me, I got to stay there for 364 days. Uh, one of the cooks had gotten drunk in the first couple of weeks I was there, and I happened to be a cook. So they gave me an apron <laughs> and said, start flipping pancakes, kid. And uh, it, was, it was an absolute blessing in so many levels to be able to stay and just be of service and learn that term and learn what it really meant. Um, and still keep going up and down the falls every day. Uh, I got to return to the white mountains in that year, uh, with a family friend of a friend of mine's mom and a bunch of, uh, other moms. Uh, I was the only guy in the, and I was, you know, 23 years old and, uh, 22 years old. And, um, they're like, you know, we need a Sherpa, you know, and uh, all the boys are in college. You're you're in rehab, <laughs> so you know you're coming with us. And it was the first time I actually really intentionally went into the quote unquote literally the Great Gulf Wilderness. It's on the backside of Mount Washington, uh, and I did three days by myself back there. And I just set a camp um, off trail, and I sat and I experienced some really profound moments of clarity about who I want to be. Um, and you know, who, who I don't want to be. I had enough evidence of that behind me and, uh, fast forward to leaving high watch and moving back into Norwalk, Connecticut and being like, ah, you know, this recovery stuff is actually going really well. And again, I had gotten enough of the, um, really good tutelage, if you will, of, of how to engage in a 12 step process and how to embrace the fellowship component. Um, it was right at that time where young people started coming in a lot more to 12 step fellowships and I felt really connected. Uh, but my thing was church basements are cool for an hour, but what are we going to do with the next 23? And I needed to go, I needed to keep going. So I would do, I would grab guys who'd pile in a vehicle and we'd go, we'd go for a hike or we go climbing or we go. And I'd learned a lot of this stuff actually through a sponsor when I was at Mount or at high watch. And then, um, and then I got a job working in an outdoor shop, um, and selling all kinds of outdoor gear. And then somebody came in with a bunch of brochures for an outdoor education organization based in Connecticut and said, Hey, you guys hiring long story short there is I got a job working with them, um, as a field instructor, learning the ropes literally as I was, um, you know, learning as I was teaching a very experiential education oriented model. And it just took off from there. Uh, so for me, the, and then the opportunity to take the outdoor education component and introduce it to places like Mountainside Treatment Center and Newport Academy and, um, multiple sober living environments and just keep taking people, taking people, taking people, taking people, all of which, by the way, very selfish. I need my own medicine, you know. So the easiest way to get my medicine is to take drag somebody else along. 
everything we do is we have a, a self-interest, not necessarily a selfishness, but a self-interest. Absolutely. You know, we're not doing everything in the world altruistically. We really get something out of it, even if it's just a warm feeling inside that you're helping. You know, and I was also taught at the beginning, if you're not having fun in recovery, you're doing it wrong. That was that first sponsor. And he was really adamant. He said, if you're not having a good, you're 22 years old, man. If you're not having a good time doing this, you're, you're doing it wrong. Something's wrong. So that was part of it for me. Big part. When we talk about adventure-based recovery, we certainly can't talk, uh, can't skip the biggest part of it is the therapeutic effects of just being out in nature. Um, just in general, can you talk about how exposure to all the wonders of nature, the things that you'll see and experience, um, not just for those in recovery, but for anybody, how can those be beneficial? Well, uh, I think the easiest thing for me is ask the question of anyone who's listening. Um, how do you feel when you see a waterfall? How do you feel when you um, witness the blooming of the spring flowers? How do you feel when you stand on the shore of the ocean and feel the waves pounding in your feet? How do you feel when you see a vast horizon where nothing but nature exists and no human, no sign of human contact uh, has interrupted that view? And I hope that everyone can ask themselves those questions and feel something. Uh, I do identify and recognize the fact that some people feel lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, <laughs> uh, which is a very natural response. Uh, but I think most of us in my experience as a species feel a longing and a belonging, especially if we experience it more often than not. And like I said, I grew up in a residential community, you know, pretty close to, you know, a, uh, you know, an urban environment, so to speak. I mean, I, I had pro housing projects on either side of my neighborhood where I heard gunshots on a regular basis. Uh, but I had this little sanctuary of, you know, I could, I could be in the right position at any given time and not see any houses, you know, and just that sweet spot. Um, so I, I believe that we all fundamentally long for the wild, uh, and I think we manufacture ways to connect to the wild, unfortunately, more so than just go seek it as it in its, excuse me, truly natural state. Um, but ultimately, we're all very hardwired to be in and of nature. Otherwise, we're truly an alien species. And, you know, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> <laughs> I know that when I was a kid, my first exposure, other than being around small patches of woods, um, was reading a book that my brother had given me. My brother, uh, many people who listen and know me know that took his own life with an overdose in 1990. Um, but when he was doing okay, he was always in the woods. I'd see him with his bow or a fishing or or just going, and that's what we said. Oh, he's he may still be using and doing, his, but he's doing okay because he's doing the things he enjoys. But he gave me a book called My Side of the Mountain, where a mm. kid goes, leaves home in suburban New York and goes and lives in a tree in the Catskills. And it fascinated me. And when I went out into those small patches of woods, it scared the daylights out of me thinking about what this kid did. But it, it, there is something about nature that's unexplainable, um, that just 
the the grandness and that just kind of grabs you and, and whether it be like you said the woods or the shore the ocean there's just something there uh we're we're engineered for it that's the thing i try to remind people my my experience uh very anecdotally and a lot of people of course have been around and being in the outdoor industry um we we anecdotally can all recognize it but what's amazing and and by the way i've also had the privilege of sitting with indigenous peoples who have uninterrupted lineage to their connection to nature and they certainly get it right (laughs) there's there is a tremendous amount of wisdom there um, but what I find fascinating is, is our, our modern scientific data is starting to catch up to all of this as well, where we now know unequivocally on the scientific level that our physiology requires us to be outside. It requires us to be in wild spaces. It requires us to experience awe. Um, it, 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 if we don't have this medicine, we suffer. And there's a lot of evidence for that as well in in our modern culture. When we look at kind of the what we see in nature, that every day is a renewal, right? The sun rises every day until it doesn't, and we won't worry about that right now. Um, the parallels to recovery aren't complex to understand at all. When we look at the 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 12-step adage of one day at a time kind of fits perfectly with what's happening in the world uh, or the natural world every day. Every day is another chance, but the conditions change. Nature may be the only place that conditions change second by second faster than the human experience. Conditions every moment changing. And there's an adjustment to that. I think it's a great lesson for recovery as well. Absolutely. Uh, we we do a practice called the sit spot. And just again, it's not ours. It's- their ancient practice where we encourage uh, the the practice of going to a place. It doesn't have to, it could be your own yard. It doesn't have to be again, the wilderness, but a place where you are able to focus softly on a natural setting. You don't have to see any human interaction. Again, that's the important part. Um, And do your best to just witness uh, what is, happening in that natural space what is naturally occurring how are the trees being trees the grass being grass the birds being birds the ants being ants whatever natural component that is non-human how's it doing its thing and how is its thing affecting you how is your witnessing it affecting you in that moment and it's not always um, it's not always great. Like, oh, this is beautiful. It's gro- it's you know it's brilliant. Sometimes it's like, wow, this is kind of scary. This is kind of uncomfortable. This is it's a little wet. It's a little cold. It's a little, it's a little you know intimidating. And when you just sit in that moment, what happens is all of a sudden it changes. Something always changes, and your attention is drawn there. Again, whether it's physical visual, emotional. So there's this constant just reminder. There's nothing static in the universe. You know, it's always changing. It's always shifting. It's always um, evolving. And if we can sit through it, we're pretty likely going to experience some kind of shift within ourselves. 
the skills of your team at Adventure Recovery really impressed me. I've, I've checked out the website. I've talked to Josh. And it covers so many uh, interests and areas of expertise relating to activities out in the wilderness. Um, one thing that jumped out at me, and I think my, some of my listeners who are clinical would be interested in this, is that you have a very experienced um, individual who provides clinical support and an understanding uh, of all the aspects of the biopsychosocial experience. Can you tell us a little bit about that role and its importance? Oh, absolutely. So what, again, my experience personally and professionally has, has taught me is it takes a village, right? It really takes a lot of resources um, to help an individual find their way. And, or, or ideally, I would say, in, in most cases. And what is hard for a lot of people to um, decipher sometimes is just how uh, complicated some of the conditions and causes behind the, the substance use disorders really are. And we don't claim to be experts in any of that. But, you know, I believe in the, the philosophy that every individual is the expert of their own experience, for sure. Um, but it can become very overwhelming very quickly. And what I, uh, I like to say as guides, uh, if you travel at all um, and you go into a place where you, you don't speak the language and you don't understand the culture and you don't know the terrain, it's best to hire a local guide to support that journey, right? So they speak the, they speak the language, they understand the culture, and they understand and they know the terrain well. So what we believe is to make sure that we have the right translation, we're following the right cultural protocols, and we really know where we're going. It's best to have that clinical consultant on board to help us help the client. And ultimately, as guides, um, we want to make sure we're being good translators. And a lot of times we find that, especially younger clients, young adults, uh, even teenagers that we work with, they really struggle with understanding the clinical component. So as a peer-based system, our guides are able to say, well, let me help you understand how I understand. Mm -hmm. Right? And uh, so that, that's a big piece. And then there's also the quote-unquote assessment tool that that a clinician brings to the table that we just don't have as outdoor guides. Um, they're going to be able to help understand the nuances of those underlying causes and conditions better than we certainly will and translate back to us as the, in the field practitioners, how to help navigate that for the client. So the way that that person shows up for us is uh, they, um, they kind of review each uh, individual coming in, um, on paper, quote unquote. And our paperwork is very simple. It's not a very, uh, complicated biopsychosocial. Amen for that. That's a welcome thing to hear. And we, and again, we're lucky we fall in that category. We're not a treatment program, right? Right. We're an outdoor education organization. Uh, and it's all first person, right? So, uh, I'll, I'll use good old, you know, Timmy, you know, Timmy's always the knucklehead who needs help, right? So, uh, Timmy uh, is coming to us because Timmy wants to do this. And Timmy has said this is what's, you know, a challenge for him in his life in the bigger scope. 
And that happens with typically, actually, it's not just Josh anymore, but Josh, uh, Nate Bennett, who's our field director. Um, so they're typically the guys who go out for the first experience and they just go for a walk in the woods with this individual. And so this is, this is who we, where do you want to go is most importantly today on this map. How do you want to get, what path do you want to take to get there? Or which combination of paths? And, um, during that experience, the individual gets that it's their journey because the guide's job is, you know, say, where do you want to go? When you get to a trail intersection, which way do you want to turn? Well, you're the guide. Tell me, no, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to support you in your journey. You know? So we, again, are reaffirming right in that first experience that this is their experience. They typically get to the destination and the conversation becomes a lot more comfortable on both sides, which is now, what do you want to do? You know, how was that experience for you? How did that differ from other experiences you may have had in mental health and addiction treatment? How can we best support you? And what would you like to do next? And from that conversation, our team is able to go back to our clinical consultant and say, so this is, this is what this individual has stated. And this is what uh, we have discussed for next step. And in most cases, that clinical consultant is going to also incorporate a family phone call, initiate a family conversation. And because most of our uh, individual clients especially come to us via some kind of family intervention, if you will, family support. So we want to make sure that we're not crossing into uh, territory that we don't belong and keeping ourselves on the path that we are most skilled in. And that person helps us do that. And she also supports us with uh, all the all the individual um, mentors, coaches, guides. Those are our, kind of our categories, if you will. Um, do a uh, a monthly call as a community um, with our consultant, and we review. You know, so I'm having this conversation with this, and, and all of this, by the way, is at the individuals. Um, um, request and or agreement up front. We don't mm-hmm. do any of this conversation without their explicit agreement that, Hey, I want to talk, I want to run this by so-and-so. Um, and it really works very well for us because it, it helps us remember we're not out there um, doing therapy. We're out there being, you know, being good guides, um, you know, focusing on what we know best. And it also helps us to do that risk assessment component. This might be too much for you at this time. Maybe we can make some other recommendations or point you in another direction. You may not want to go up Mount Washington today, but we can look at Katahdin, which is a thousand feet shorter. <laughs> yeah. and, and another thing, too, that's really um, cool is when it comes to substance use disorders, especially with developing substance use disorders, right? Um, young people uh, who are still managing their own individual relationship with substances. We don't have a, you know, hard and fast philosophy other than we don't go out high. <laughs> we don't go out under the influence because that's poor risk management 101. So if a client shows up under the influence, we don't test or anything. There's a simple gut check. Again, back to when in doubt, chicken out. If we ask the question directly, are you under the influence? If the I know in my case, when I was a 17-year-old and someone asked me, oh, absolutely not. No way. <laughs> okay. 
Well, for where I sit, you appear to be impaired. And because of that, as a guide, I have to make the call that we're not going to go, you know, climb 600 feet of vertical today. <laughs> when you have to belay me, by the way, at certain components. Yeah. We're, we're going to go for a walk, you know, maybe get a cup of coffee. And we're just going to talk today. But we don't cancel we don't, you know, remove people from our "quote unquote" experience. It's truly meeting someone where they're at in the moment. Exactly, and we also do a lot of group programming um, that are uh, institutionally oriented, where the institutional um, uh, rules, if you will, come first. Right. So when it comes to the individual and group management fundamentals, they're the experts, so we defer to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're out there as a guide service, you know? So if at any point the staff feel that it's inappropriate or uh, I hate that word, by the way, inappropriate, if it's, if it's not a good idea for this individual to continue at this time, then we, we make adjustments um, based yeah. on their, their intervention, not ours. And then at the same time, we tell our guides, if there's ever any behavior that looks like it's you know going to put the individual or the group at risk or even the outside community, um, you have every right as the guide to shut it down. You know, we're going to stop here. It's not punishment. It's just now unsafe. And we will, you know, remove ourselves from this environment and have a conversation once we're out. It, it really keeps it as simple as possible. Really safe good. versus unsafe. Yes, exactly. exactly. Since we're talking about your team a bit, I, I have to talk about Mimi. <laughs> <laughs> she clearly is the most adorable member of your team. Yes, Can you is. talk about her a little bit? Uh, she is a, a rescue, of course, uh, who rescued who is the question always. And, um, she is truly, uh, an exceptional dog. I, every dog owner says this about their dog. And I've said it about every dog I've ever had, but this one, she's a real gem. And Mimi for the most part is, is more of the team emotional support animal <laughs> than uh, yeah. clients. Because again, we have to be mindful of our client experience. Um, uh, when we host experiences on our own land, uh, she's usually front and center. Um, she makes a great uh, codependency uh, conversationalist when it comes to, if you engage, she will engage. <laughs> if you don't engage, She'll leave you alone. So be ready to engage if you're going to take that step. Um, but yeah, as a unconditional love bug, she does a really, really good job of making everyone feel welcome. Uh, she does a really good job of pushing people's physical boundaries because she loves to get in there and grab you literally. Um, if you don't like that, you got to let her know it and you got to mean it. Cause if she, she doesn't think you don't mean it. She's going to keep trying to hug you. Um, so she, she does a really good job, uh, ultimately. And then the best part is, you know, uh, when she feels like everyone knows she's there, she settles down and she finds her own way to be interactive without being invasive. And that again, it's like these really great little, you know, messages that she gives us. What a great, uh, uh gift that dogs bring to us, that unconditional acceptance, um, as long as you treat them well and and you know they they're happy to see you every time absolutely Uh, every time i come home from a multi-day experience she acts as if you know i was gone forever 
I go get the mail and my beagle is at the door. If I don't take her out with me, wagging her tail like I've been, you know, no perception of time, like I've been gone for days. Yeah. Um, you know, here's your opportunity to brag a bit. Can you tell us what makes Adventure Recovery, your organization, stand out? Oh, um, truly, it, it's not us. It's, it's, it's the environment in which we work. We're just lucky enough to be good stewards um, of that experience. So I think ultimately what stands out for us is we have access to truly the most beautiful places in the world. Um, and we know how to get there and back safely. Uh, risk cannot be 100% guaranteed eliminated in any life endeavor. Uh, again, having being a recovery and recovering administrator, <laughs> I can tell you, there's a lots and lots and lots of stuff that you can do to try to mitigate that risk, but ultimately dealing with the human condition, something's going to happen. What's great about out there is we don't have to worry so much about the human condition. We don't have to, we don't have to micro focus on that and exacerbate it actually by doing so because the natural world does it for us. If you want to be warm, pay attention. If you want to be dry, pay attention. If you want to be well-fed, pay attention. If you want to feel connected, pay attention. So again, for us, I think, it, you know, adventure recovery, what we do well is we provide the experience and we provide it in a way that's really skillful. Um, that's really, uh, truly, um, based on these fundamental practices, best practices of outdoor leadership, which is, you know, do it, do it well, do it as safely as you possibly can. When in doubt, chicken out and celebrate the wins. And more importantly, celebrate the losses. You know, there's no better story around the fire at the end of the day than how bad that went. <laughs> we're, my, we're, having, no we're having the conversation. Yeah. Right? I, my first boss out of college always said, you either win or you learn. And um, it's not about you know, losing the battle. It's what did you take from it? Yeah. And that was, that's the coolest thing for me about the outdoor skills component. And this is where I think uh, for the folks who are, are, by the way, if you're working in an office 24 seven, God bless you. <laughs> I, uh, I had someone um, got, you know, introduced through the field. One person, you know, you should talk to this guy kind of thing. Uh, and I asked him, I said, do me a favor, just go back and ask this, you know, go, go back and ask this person what they think about, you know, my professional experience. And they came back and said, oh, I asked. And the, and the, the statement was, whoever thought of putting Tim Walsh behind a desk was a good idea as a freaking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it was in reference to my, you know, uh, executive director time. And I, I still feel like that's the best description ever. Um, well, my point being is if you're working in, you know, in an office doing this day in, day out, you know, really, truly frontline work. Um, it's hard to understand for most people coming from that environment, what it really means to be outside and why the outside is so, you know, powerful and why the technical skills component is so important, uh, especially for an individual path. You know, there's a lot of challenge courses at treatment centers and that sort of thing. Um, but when you teach a person how to belay, and by the way, belay means to hold fast. It's the person who is 
holding the rope for the person who's climbing up the mountain. When you learn how to do that, you're learning to truly take another person's life in your hands, literally. And you're learning to trust that it's not just your physical hand and strength, actually, that is important. It's learning that there's a system involved that you must understand, trust, and execute. And that climber must trust all of the above in order to successfully complete the task of getting up that route. And when you realize how powerful that really is, how truly empowering for that individual to make those leaps um, and to be the facilitator of that experience. And best part is, all right, my turn. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to trust you. That's the piece that I think we can't do in a clinical environment and, and nor should we necessarily. Right. Um, it's the same thing with getting on a, you know, we do, we use a cataract a lot for our, our uh, individual work. I'm sitting on one tube. You're sitting on the other one. You have a paddle. I have a paddle. If I paddle, we're doing this. We're just, we're just going in circles. If we want to get through this rapid, we got to go together. We're in it. We're literally in the same boat. Right. So all of the skills we're teaching are really empowering from the jump. Right. We're teaching you how to take care of yourself and the person you're with while you're going on this journey. And the second part that's really, I think, unique and and makes us really stand out is that's a lifelong relationship now. Right. If we've done our job well, our clients keep coming back to us because they want to learn more and they want to know that what they're learning and how they're branching off on their own and becoming more independent as climbers, as hikers, as campers, as paddlers, snowboarders, mountain, you know, you put all these different terms after they want to check in with us about where to go next. You know, how do I take my skill to the next level? And we always joke and say, our job is easiest. When we have a new person coming to us and says, you know, so what are you guys all about? I say, well, I'm going to do fun shit. You want to come with? (laughs) And then when we come back, I said, so did you have a good time? That was freaking awesome. That was fun. Great. Do you want to go again? Hell yeah. Yeah. And that eventually comes to a Walsh. Hey, what's up? Good Good to hear from you. I haven't heard from you in a while. Hey man, I'm going to do, you know, this epic expedition. You want to come with? <laughs> and I've had those calls. You know, I've had calls to go down the Grand Canyon from former clients. I've had the call to go to uh Ecuador with former clients. I've had the call to go uh, you know, to Costa Rica with former it, and the coolest thing about my lifestyle is I get to say yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's also a gift when you can share something that you love with somebody else and it helps both of you. Absolutely. And again, that's the differentiator. And, and I'm not saying it's a, a right or wrong thing, but that's a tr- true differentiator of what we get to do is we get to really celebrate that we're on this journey together and we get to come in and out of relationship at, based on what you want as a client, not based on what I want as a provider. As we wind down, um, where can interested people get more information on your programming? Uh, AdventureRecovery.com is our website. Uh, info at adventure is the best email. Um, 
it's a it's a rule within the organization. Do not ever try to reach me directly uh, because unless you're really proficient in smoke signals, chances are it's going to take a long time for me to return a text or an email. Um, but truly, uh, what we try to do is is provide as many individual group institutional uh, programming opportunities as possible. And I founded this whole organization based on the idea of I want more people in recovery to become outdoor educators. That was my whole mission. I want people to know that they could become very uh, skillful in, in the outdoors uh, in a relatively short period of time, comparatively to a lot of other places where people want to be of help in this field. Um, and so as a training organization, that's the other thing I'm very proud of what we do. So we train outdoor. We started this new coach model um, uh, based on, you know, again, lots of great feedback from people who've been through our guide training or wanted to do our guide training, which is there was too many obstacles for them to do the whole guide training. So, okay, well, what if we start with coach? And it's really like changed a lot of how we do things now. Um, so we do the coach training, we do the guide training, and the guide training is much more about the technical skills. And each technical skill has its own guide credential. So there's a rock guide, there's a river guide, there's a surf guide, if that makes sense. Um, so ultimately, get on the website, uh, check us out, give us a call. Uh, the number's on the website, uh, info at, email. Um, Josh Flaherty is going to be the one most likely to return your call. He's our executive director. And also follow us on social media. Um, you know, we're on Instagram, Facebook. We just opened a TikTok account. Apparently, I don't have anything to do with any of that. Thank God. I, I, I kind of know what that is, but not really. Just because I have a 26 year old, I know. Yeah, I've got 14 year old kids, uh, boy and girl twins. So that's you know, they're 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 the social media experts in our house. Any final thoughts? Before we close, well, uh, again, I, Jeff, I can't thank you enough. Um, you know, thank you CCB for supporting our recovery coach training our, our adventure recovery coach training. It's a, it means a lot to us to have your, uh, support there. Um, if you are a person in recovery and you're feeling a little stagnant, give us a shout. If you're a person in recovery and you're super stoked about what you're doing and want, want to do more, give us a shout. If you're a professional working in this field, thank you so much for the hard work that you do. Uh, it is thankless work in many, many cases. Uh, if you need a retreat, give us a shout. We'll be happy to take you out. Uh, and if you are in any way, shape, or form a you know institutional provider, give us a call. We we love collaborating with organizations that are trying to find a way to implement this kind of work. And uh, you know, we we're really honored to to have some really great partnerships. So thank you very much, Jeff, for the work. Oh, you do. It's our pleasure really to have you. I appreciate you taking the time. And, and when we post this, when, um, you know, post this conversation, I'll make sure that all the contact information is also available through our social media and things so that people can reach out um, to you guys directly. Thank Thanks you. again, Tim. I really appreciate it. All right, Jeff, be well. That's going to do it for this episode of Scope of Practice. I'd like to thank Tim Walsh again for joining us, and I hope this discussion has motivated you to explore our natural surroundings all throughout New England and beyond. We're very lucky to live where we do to have access to all of the things that we do. 
we again extend our gratitude to Mountainside Treatment Center for their generous support. And we here at the Connecticut Certification Board appreciate everyone who listens. And please don't forget to follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcast application. For the record, I listen on Amazon. We'll catch you next time, everybody. Thank you.